You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, we're going to take another journey into the realm of marketing, but my guests and I have had uh, a great time exploring some interesting twists, and uh, I'll just get her introduced, and we'll dive right in. Her name is Pamela Wilson. Pamela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Doug. I have been looking forward to this chat. Thanks for having me. So as we were kind of building up here and, and going over things, uh, panel asked me to first talk a little bit about some of my clients and the audience we uh, we serve. I was telling her about um, a couple of my clients, and she brought up a very significant point. And I told her, I, I want to start with that and we'll uh, move forward. But you know what? Before we get into that, I do like to ask you, Pamela, if you'll tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, and how you got into what you're doing right now. Yeah, I would love to. I have always loved marketing, and I've done it my entire career. I started my own business in 1992, worked for someone else at the beginning of my career, Started my own business in 92, so I'm celebrating more than 30 years in the marketing world, and I love it. I I still love it. It's always changing, as you know. It is just an industry that's always in flux, and that's one of the things I like about it because, frankly, I have kind of a low tolerance for boredom, <laughs> and I've never been bored with what I do. So there's always something new to learn, a new strategy or tactic to explore, um, and and a new way to kind of think about what you're doing and and try different techniques and and new clients and new client problems and new client challenges and all of that. So what I do, yes, I love it. I work as a marketing advisor now. In some cases, that looks like me coming in to be a, like a fractional CMO um, in a business. In a lot of cases, it means I come in to help people kind of on a project basis to tackle something that they're struggling with in their marketing department. I I work with a lot of 10 to 100 million in annual revenue companies. Those companies oftentimes have kind of junior marketing teams. So one of the things that I can do is come in with a lot of experience and, and expertise. I'm also kind of a systems geek. So I can go in and help people figure out what they should do and how they should get it accomplished. And I love doing that as well, those those really juicy projects. Well, I had mentioned that um, from my seat, as I work with a lot of clients, uh, small businesses that I work with, and perhaps mine aren't quite as big. I mean, I go up to about the 50 million mark, but... um, Oftentimes, the owners I deal with, they're aware of the idea they got to do something with marketing, but they don't really have an idea of what that is. And and maybe they've adopted an old school uh, thinking, print media, radio, things like that. And uh, often they have no effort in the social channels. When I 
teed all that up, you described to me two varieties. You said brand and performance marketing. So let's start there. Let's let's talk about what the difference between those two so people yeah. get a, maybe a better understanding of where we're going. Yeah, that's great. And I, I mean, I have really good news, which is that you do not need to do all kinds of marketing all the time in all the places. It's really a matter of figuring out what kind of marketing your specific business needs and thrives on. And that tends to fall into one of two categories. And most businesses kind of use a mix of these two categories. One is what I would call brand marketing. And brand marketing is where you're kind of building awareness of your business. You're building authority in your industry. And you're building a recognizable brand so that when people think of your company, they think, oh, they're they're really good. They really know what they're doing. And that tends to generate a lot of word of mouth referrals. So if you're in a business where referrals are important, brand marketing is going to be important for you. The other kind of marketing, and again, most businesses have a mix of these. So the other kind of marketing to be aware of is performance marketing. And that looks like it, it looks more like we're going to do this thing on our website and we're going to see how many leads that generates. And you're kind of looking at the data that that marketing generates and deciding on whether or not you want to continue with that tactic based on the data. So based on did it generate leads? Did those leads convert to sales? Are they long-term customers? All those kinds of things. So performance marketing is more about looking at data and responding to that data. Brand marketing is more about building awareness. It's a little, brand marketing is a little more squishy, I say, because it it doesn't generate like hard numbers that you can look at. It's more of a longer-term effect. It's a, you know, a long-term play as they say, right? So you're doing this brand marketing and over time it should pay off. You may not have hard data that shows you that, but over time you should see that you're getting more referrals, that people see you as an industry leader. So how do you deal with the challenge of I think the popular word I always have heard it referred to as differentiation. So if I'm in a a market or my customers in a market where there's a lot of them, um, you know, I, I, schooling says you that's where you talk about branding. You know, my brand helps explain why we're different, and you know. Maybe we taste better. We're in a nicer looking bottle. And I'm sorry, I had a meeting with Coca Cola this morning. You know, I'm kind of. <laughs> they're on your mind, huh? They're on my yeah. mind. But um, yeah. so, where does that differentiation challenge come in to this mix, it, whether it's branding or performance, either one? Right. It's interesting that you mentioned Coca-Cola because I think when we think about a big brand, Coca-Cola is one of the first ones that comes to mind. And their branding really is, is about putting that red and white logo all over the place. It's just absolutely ubiquitous. And they have poured millions and millions and millions of dollars into spreading that brand all over, right? But that in and of itself isn't really what makes us love Coca-Cola, right? It's it's the product itself, which people enjoy, but it's also all of that advertising they've done over the years that has told really heart, 
heartfelt stories about the brand, right? Ads that make you cry at the end because of something that you saw on the screen on your television or that grabbed your heartstrings while you were listening to the radio. So that's really, it's, it's sort of a combination in their case of like brute force, let's pay a lot of money and put our logo all over the place. And then storytelling, which helps to make, I mean, when you think about it, it is a sweet caffeinated carbonated drink, right? But when we think about Coca-Cola, we think about Santa Claus drinking a Coca-Cola while he fills the stockings or the football player drinking a Coke <clears throat> at the end of the game. And, uh, you know, we think of those stories. So yeah. when you translate that to, to the rest of our businesses, because 99% of the businesses uh, in the U.S. and outside the U.S. are not Coca-Cola, right? So when you're talking about all the rest of us out there who have businesses, that storytelling turns into, this is our mission. This is what we believe. This is what we think our industry should be. This is how we do our work because we think it's important. This is how we serve our customers. It's telling stories about all of those things and thinking about the elements that make you different in those ways. So how do we serve our customers? How is it different from how our competition serves our customers? Um, how do we combine our people in a way that's really unique to us to serve our customers? Things like that. Um, it's I think it's that storytelling that differentiates you and that can be used in the brand marketing and in the performance marketing, really in both places, because part of performance marketing is also content marketing. So it's writing blog posts and sharing videos and sharing podcasts, and those can have stories woven throughout all of them as well. Yeah, it is uh, so difficult often, at least it's been my experience with the clients I've worked with, the privately held ones, not, not the Cokes of the world, but the smaller independent businesses. Sometimes you ask them the question, what are you about? What do you do? And there's this kind of, I don't know, you know, I, I've, I, I don't have a story to tell. I just, I just do these things. And getting them to sit down and really focus on what that story might be. And in um, when we were offline getting ready to get started here, we were talking. I happen to have a couple of clients that are in the construction business. One's a full-fledged home builder and the other's a remodeler. But, um, you know, how do you advertise a business like that? Or how do you tell a story about what you're doing? And I've challenged both of those to think about what it is they're doing. And I've said, are you just building something or are you creating a, a lifestyle change for the people you, you want to attract? Right. Absolutely. And I think the way to get into those stories, it, it's very dependent on on the question that you ask. It's funny, we're we're in this time, this may have happened since you and I spoke the first time, but you know, chat GPT is something that everyone is talking about right now. And have right. you experimented with it at all? Oh yeah, yeah. Right, and I think, I mean, we've all probably dabbled a little bit and I think we all know enough to know that the results are very dependent on the input that you give it, the question that you ask, the way you craft that, 
the things you add to it that make it very descriptive so that it can give you exactly what you're looking for. And I think when it comes to pulling stories out of clients, it's kind of the same thing. It's, uh, I think people are calling it uh, prompt engineering now or something, which is kind of silly. But anyway, it's it's sort of question engineering that will pull out stories. And I think one of those stories can be, why'd you start your business? Like how, how did it all take me back to the very early days and how did it all start? And that can, that can pull out some really fascinating stories. I have a client right now. Um, it's a three founders who founded the business together and they tell a story about, they had a think tank and the business was built out of this think tank and their think tank was the pool in the backyard of one of the founders yeah, where they would all tank. go, yeah, float around <laughs> with like a can of beer and talk business. And that's, their business was born in that think tank. And that, I mean, that's a fantastic story, right? And you don't get to that story by saying, what makes you different, right? You get to it by saying like, take me back to the early days and tell me what that was like. Like what took you from this, you know, you were a person who did not have a business and then suddenly you were starting a business and tell me about how that worked out, right? And then the other way to engineer a prompt that gets a great story is to ask people to tell a story about a customer whose life they really transformed or whose if it's a business to business, you know, what customer's business did you truly transform with what you do? Tell me that story. Where were they before? What was the work that you did together with them? And where are they now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, um, I had mentioned the, um, the remodeler uh, when I began working with him almost two years ago, we took a deep dive and did a lot of hard work in what he had going on with his business. And we fundamentally have doubled his business in the time we've been together. And one of the elements of that was asking him, how does he advertise and promote his brand or what he's doing? And there was a community magazine that he was part of, and that was his primary advertising spend. The owner of that magazine opted to retire and get out of the business and told my client that he was going to do so. And the client said, you can't, you can't let this magazine die. It's my only real channel. And long story short, my client went out and basically acquired the magazine. So mm. he is now a two-time entrepreneur, simultaneous, and he's running his construction business and running a magazine. So uh, quite a quite a departure, but for him individually and what some of his skills and abilities are, it's not too too far off. So right. um, there's a lot of creative juice that flows in both endeavors, and um, that that's the, kind of the common thread and keeping it keeping it uh, wired together. I, I love that story because he now owns that channel 100%, yeah. which is amazing. And that that is a big business move, actually, because it's something we've seen some of the big brands like Coke do, where they just own a channel, you know, they kind of, or they take it over for a while and you see all the ads are from them or, you know, refer to them or embed them in, in the story. So, um, I, 
owning a channel is not so easy these days. The channels are owned by huge corporations for the most part. So the idea that you could own a channel that's already producing really great leads for you and then control it going forward. I love that. I think yeah. that's super smart. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to go back to the, the basic idea when, when you are introduced to a new prospective client and they decide to engage, what are some of the early steps, early discussions that you have with them about where they are and what they might need to be doing? The first thing that I ask them is what does their sales process look like? How do sales come in through the door and turn into customers? I want to understand that process because marketing is a part of that, right? Our job as marketers is to draw people in who then turn into customers. So we're a really important part of that process. In some cases, I have a client now that has a sales team. So the marketing department is generating leads. The leads book a call with the sales team. The sales team closes the deal, right? So that's one structure, but it's not the only one. In some cases, you may be generating leads and you're sending them to a sales page on a website and the customer converts themselves, right? So that's the first thing that I want to understand is how do how do people turn into customers in your business so that I know how I can be helpful? I also want to understand what have you done so far and what has worked and what has been a complete flop? And then overall, just what are the challenges? I'll tell you what, Doug, one of the most common challenges that I see is that people have been just implementing a lot of tactics without really having a strategy or a way to track the results of what they're doing. So they'll say things like, well, you know, we started a Facebook group, but it's not doing much. Or we started, you know, Somebody told us we should be on YouTube. So we started a YouTube channel, which is a huge undertaking, by the way. Um, and I don't know, it's not really doing much and we're not really seeing results. And there's just a lot of like, the thing about the marketing world is there are so many tactics and the tactics are all talked about, right? And so people will see them almost like shiny objects. Like, well, I heard about this tactic, so I want to try it now. Or I heard about this other one and I want to try that now. And you see a lot of people kind of spinning their wheels, trying different things, but not really having an overall strategy that is designed to really point the marketing and the business in the direction it needs to go. Yeah. So it's usually a lot of just tell me about what's <clears throat> happening. Like, and I, I usually sit back and I'm real quiet because people usually have a lot to talk about. <laughs> so I just sit there and take notes. I, I, I want to... Uh, punctuate that statement you just made about the strategy. I've, uh, as, as many of my listeners may know, we've actually done several episodes on doing effective marketing for your business. And if, if, if folks will listen real closely, every one of my marketers that have been on the show have said the same thing. They see too many people that are running in a thousand different directions, and, but they have not locked in on the real strategy they want to pr pursue. So message to the, the world here, uh, if you're owning a business, you need to really work on that strategy of what it is you're trying to tell, what story you're trying to tell. Is it about your brand? Is it about your, your service? Is it about 
your uniqueness, whatever that may be. But that strategy, as I understand it, is is the big thing for helping determine what real channel you're going to participate in or, or what technologies, what vehicles, what methods you're going to use to get your message out there. Absolutely. I believe that simple is best. And if you can identify two or three or four marketing tactics that fit into an overall strategy, and then you can just focus all your efforts on implementing those tactics at a really high level, your marketing is going to become so much simpler. You can basically put blinders on and ignore everything else and just focus on doing those handful of tactics at a really high level. And that's going to help your business stand out. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pamela, I think it's about time that we do a commercial break here, speaking about strategies. And uh, sure. uh, I, uh, I want to take a pause here and allow uh, my sponsor to come in. But I, I want everybody to hang with us. We've got a lot more to cover when we come back right after this message. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today I'm visiting with Pamela Wilson. We've been talking about uh, marketing for your business, and but right before the break, we were talking about the idea of developing your strategy before you get into the tactics of uh, what that's going to mean. But during the break, I asked Pamela, I said, let's let's talk a little bit more specifically about what is a strategy? Is there an example of a, a strategy that uh, maybe you've used in another business before? So can you can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, it's it's um, there's not a strategy. It would sort of be like saying, do you have a recipe for making dinner, you know, it's like, there are lots of recipes, right? So, but I can tell you that the main elements that you need to think about is you want to think about lead generation and demand generation, and they're two separate things. So let's talk about what each one is. Lead generation is how you're going to create interested, um, create interest in what you do as a business, basically, and build a group of people who are considered leads. So they're interested in what you do. They have the problem that you solve, and they are the type of people who could become customers. So those are leads. And you want to be consistently generating leads so that you have a consistent flow of new customers coming in your door. So that's one thing that your marketing can do for you. And the other thing is demand generation. So demand generation, the way I define it is that's where you go out and you build an audience elsewhere, like maybe far away from where you usually show up. So using your uh, your remodeler, your remodeler uh 
may create leads in construction industry magazines or going to construction industry events um, or going to homeowner events. You know, the, the lead generation is kind of with the people who are the usual suspects who would turn into customers, right? So that's where your remodeler will go to generate leads. But then when it comes to demand generation, your remodeler might explore some some audiences that are adjacent to the audience that they would normally reach out to. Maybe they make connections with interior designers, for example, and they maybe there's an interior design website and they write an article about remodeling and their approach to remodeling. And that gets them in front of this audience of interior designers that their end customers might be hiring to get design work that is eventually going to turn into a remodel. So does that make sense? That's what I mean by demand generation. Yeah, it's looking for new audiences that you may not think of right away as somebody you want to appeal to, but having a consistent strategy that gets you in front of new audiences is another way to guarantee that you will have those leads coming into your business from all different places. It's a great way to really grow your business, to just get it in front of these new audiences. So your strategy is usually a combination of lead generation, demand generation. I like to also think about processes. I think processes need to be a part of this as well. We have our strategy. How are we going to implement that strategy? Let's create some standard operating procedures. Let's create some systems for getting things done. So I think that needs to be part of it as well. And when I go in to talk to clients, it's usually some combination of those three. How are we going to generate leads? How are we going to go out and generate demand? And then how are we going to document the whole thing, measure it, and create processes for getting it all implemented? Yeah, Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I think... um... Connecting all those dots, obviously, that's something that many small business owners probably haven't thought about. They've they've got a maybe a a pool of regular recurring customers that have come to them. They're hoping for word of mouth to help propagate the story and and get a little more out there. But then there is the um, um, all the other options of how they're going. I'm thinking about another owner operator that I know who runs a um, uh, a smoothie shop. You know, it's a mm. it's health food related, really high end, high quality uh, ingredients. But it's uh, you know the shop's been opened up in a relatively small community and. Uh, a lot of what she's been doing is word of mouth. She happened to put the shop in a, a business center that has uh, three different physical fitness and gymnasium type enterprises. And one's a cheerleading camp. The other's a, a traditional CrossFit uh, organization. And I forget the third one, but um Maybe it's an aerobic studio or something like that. But anyway, you know, a lot of those people have migrated to her. You know, you go do your exercise and then you go get a nice healthy smoothie afterwards. Mm-hmm. And and that's created a, a great buzz and a word of mouth thing that's working pretty well for her. 
but that's a relatively low ticket item and so she's got to make her money on volume right yes so yeah it's yeah. a it's a big challenge to have the volume coming through the door so that she can make the returns you you really want to get, get after well and that's i i'd love to address that if you don't mind address word of mouth because um a lot of times when i talk to people about marketing they, they kind of set it up like, well, marketing is one thing and then word of mouth, mouth is this other thing that's not, that's separate from marketing. It's just something that's kind of magical that happens on its own, right? And what I want to say to that is if word of mouth and referrals are working for your business, part of your marketing strategy can be what can we do to encourage those to happen even more than they're happening now? So if that has been effective, and again, this is part of the whole marketing strategy is that you want to look at what has worked and how can we double down on what has worked and do more of it and get it to work even better than it has now. So there are proven ways that you can get referrals to happen more often. If that's working, you can double down on that. It doesn't have to be your only marketing strategy, but it should definitely be one. It should be a part of it's, it should be one of the tactics you use on a consistent basis. Yeah. Well, and, and for those businesses that have an opportunity like that, you, you know, there's there's customer loyalty type programs and frequent flyer and all those kind of things that can be um, leveraged. As you were describing what you said there, Pamela, one thing that was going through my mind is often an entrepreneur feels hamstrung because of cash. You know they're they're in the early stages of their business, and there's not a lot of surplus cash to invest in doing some of these great initiatives. They may have a wonderful strategy, but the strategy is really biased based on what the budget allows. Right. So, yeah. is there a notion of stair stepping that strategy as the as the business? you know, stair steps in growth? Definitely. I mean, part of their revenue investment, once they are revenue positive and they feel like they have nice, consistent cash flow, they need to reserve part of that to put toward marketing so that they can grow the cash flow, grow the revenue and, and keep it coming in. But in the meantime, the thing to ask themselves is what has worked? You know, what has worked so far? And how can I make what has already worked work even better? Which is, you know, we just talked about that. But what I see is a lot of people get distracted by some marketing shiny object that they hear about and they want to pursue it. And it means starting this whole initiative from scratch. Right, right. Where on the other hand, they have this thing that's already working. So, you know, look at what has worked and see if there's a way you can grow that. It's kind of like having a little plant that you put the seed in the ground, it's starting to grow, water that. Don't just go off and plant a new seed, right? Water the plant that's growing, grow it even taller, make it bear fruit, you know, give it all the, the love and effort that you can so that that will actually pay off even more. And chances are whatever you started with, if your cash flow is tight, you probably started with something that doesn't cost much. So get it to work even better and work on that before you pursue like a brand new tactic that you haven't tried at all. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so very important to to allow yourself to to revisit what the choices you've made in the past because maybe they were constrained by the budget availability and and now as your business does grow you've you've got to think about adjusting that and moving forward and uh, what keeps coming back to me is because you, you've said it a couple of times is the idea that what's working you know being able to double down or increase the effort in that area using the same tactic but looking for other opportunities uh, of, of like kind that you haven't been able to, to get to before. I, I'm I'm thinking of my remodeler guy. Um, you know, the idea of him being able to get around to a lot of networking events like home shows and, and uh, decorator uh, meetings and designer meetings, He's constrained by time. I mean, right. being the owner-operator of the business, it's um, time management you know, is a big issue for him. Totally. But yeah. If, if but he there, were to, oh, I'm sorry. Well, there are ways to do that, Doug. So, for example, it doesn't necessarily have to mean going to an in-person event. Those uh, interior designers might have a really active membership community that you could go in and do a Zoom presentation to one time that they make a recording of and they put it in their library and it lives on forever. So, you know, these days, it's one of the exciting things about marketing is that there are so many ways that you can crack that egg or skin that cat or whatever you want to say. There are so many different ways to solve these issues. And if time is one of the constraints, there are very leverageable tactics that you can use that allow you to show up. I mean, we're doing it right now. Here I am talking to you. This conversation is going to live forever, right? So um, I'm, you know, I'm investing an hour with you. And this is something that will uh, be around for a long time. So that's something to think about also is that it, you know, when you see a constraint like that, time or money, it just means you have to be a little creative and look around to see what else is available. See what other options. Yeah, very good point. I think the last thing I'd, I'd like to touch on, and I do want to be sensitive to our time here, uh, we, we've talked a lot about the kind of developing a brand story, thinking about strategy, but then there's another leg on that three-legged stool, and that is the culture of the company. And and again, I refer to a couple of prior episodes I've done. We've we've had discussions about a lot of time, money, and effort goes into defining a brand, but in reality, the owner leader of the business has not really worked the culture of the company to be in line with the brand vision they've got. So um, talk a little bit about that. If, if you know, what, what is an owner to do to, to align that brand with culture? I think it's so important to make sure that th those two things are really working in synergy, right? So you don't want a brand that looks nothing like the existing culture and you don't want your culture to look nothing like the brand, right? So and, and when you think about it, the people in your company are kind of the ambassadors for your brand. So you want to make sure that 
how they're showing up for your customer reflects what you want your brand to to be in the world, right? There's so many different ways to create culture. One of the things that I think marketing can do to help is to have a really consistent and simple strategy that is easy to implement so that the team can show up very consistently all over wherever they show up in the world. So um, that allows people who work for the business to say, oh, this is this is who we are. This is who we are. This is how we do what we do. So it's a weird thing. It's kind of marketing is almost always external. You think of it as something you do externally and it's customer facing, but it ends up being internal as well because when you communicate the brand values and the culture values, it works both ways. It works externally and internally. Yeah. Does that make sense? It it does. And and what I'm thinking about there, and I, I know we've kind of hinged a lot of this discussion on my home building and remodeling clients, but as an example, my remodeler, you know, he does have a brand that represents pretty high end. He he works in a pretty affluent community where the home values are six and seven digit and He's doing these large-scale projects with an expectation of a really high-quality product. But while the work is going on, the so-called sausage is being made, um, he is really strict on his teams to keep the job site clean. Mm-hmm. You know, haul away the trash every day, sweep the floors, right. sweep the work area, you know, eliminate as much dust and clutter every day. And, you know, quite honestly, he, he deals with a lot of trades, you know, craftsmen and things that are in and out. And, you know, they're not the tidiest of folk, you know. So he really has to work hard with his superintendents to stress this fact that it's a, it's a little thing, but in the mind of a homeowner, and those of you out there that are listening, if you've ever done a remodel at your home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If it is six weeks or six months of hell while this is going on, you really question whether you're going to get a nice product. Yeah. And, and there's a psychology that goes with that. It it may not be factual at all. It can be a horrible mess. And then all of a sudden one day it's going to go poof and it'll be beautiful. Right. And that certainly can happen. But in helping build that customer experience and customer satisfaction, it's those little things that I argue go back to the culture of your company. If all your superintendents and your workmen know the expectation is clean up the job site every day, that's just part of the deal. And you're going to get paid for that. You know, make it that becomes a cultural asset that you then can um, allow as an experience for your customers so they can be a lot more satisfied with having hired you as the guy to do their work. Right. I love that. It's it's that it's those touch points for the customer that are so important. I have another example if you want I'll share. Yeah, please. Um it's another example of how you can communicate culture with the actions of individual employees of the company. I have a client that is in the healthcare industry, they're in the dental industry. I have a lot of healthcare marketing experience. So they're in the dental healthcare industry and they're a growing business. They have 
hundreds of customers, not thousands, right? So they're they're growing. It they'll be growing even more over time. But right now we're talking about hundreds and not thousands. They um, needed a way to retain customers for a longer period of time. I what I saw is that customers didn't feel terribly connected to the business in some cases. And that was one of the reasons they would leave. Basically, they'd they'd kind of wander off. They'd work with them for a while and then they'd wander off. So one of the things that I did is I created this note card writing campaign. And uh, we they had a, a live event last week, actually, and I was at this live event handing out packets of 25 note cards and envelopes and stamps and a QR code people could scan that takes them to a document, an 11-page document with all this text that people can use as inspiration for writing notes to new customers, customers who've been with them for a while, customers who are um, considering, like maybe they're they're not even really customers, they're just leads, but they've had a conversation with somebody on the sales team. Sales team member writes them a quick note. Hey, just want to let you know, I really enjoyed learning more about what's happening in your dental business. I'd love to be able to be of help. And they mail them a note. And this is the kind of thing that can really make your company stand out because in the healthcare industry, at least, there's so much automation being explored and so much, you know, kind of robotic computerized solutions. And this is a way of saying, hey, we, we're, we're people. There are people behind all this technology, yeah. people who are actually really concerned about you <clears throat> and we really want to see you succeed. And we're handwriting a short note to let you know that. So that's a way that you can communicate culture one person at a time, five minutes at a time, and one postage stamp at a time. Yeah, that's great. Good stuff. Well, Pamela, I really appreciate you joining us here and sharing your ideas. Tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. The best place to find me is PamelaWilson.com. I got my domain name on the internet. So that's my, yeah, that's my website. And there's lots and lots to click around and, and learn from. So I would love to see people over there. Very good. Very good. Well, folks, we will have that information in the show notes here and also with our YouTube video of this. And as I always like to remind people, if you're listening to this episode on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video archive over on YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, check out the video, uh, leave us a comment, a like, whatever. would love to hear from you. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and uh, hope you have a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.